This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 8th, episode 2720. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? stop learning, you never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse. Exciting, knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. And welcome back, Mary. She's here the second Thursday of every month. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's it's been a couple of uh, crazy adventures. I forgot to tell you about my disastrous trip to Montana. <gasps> oh, but, that's uh, right. You did. Yeah. You, now, why why were you on your way to Montana? So I got this dream opportunity to be a presenter at Art of the Cowgirl. It's <gasps> only yeah, and I didn't get to do it. Oh, uh, I know. So but, happy and so disappointed and so close together. I know. So the normal event has been in Arizona and it's this cowgirl only invitation ranch horse sale and competition. It's a new event. We've had Tammy Pate on the show before to discuss the event, but it's just this really incredible. It's a mixture of artists and clinicians and competitors and amazing horses. And unfortunately, because of COVID, they could only have the sale portion um, in Arizona this February, as that could be considered a private event. Mm-hmm. So all the kind of public stuff that, you know, the general public would come watch had to be postponed to Montana in June, a couple weeks ago. And I was like, yes, I will definitely come to Montana. Um, but just tons of obstacles were preventing it just from going smoothly. My mom wasn't going to be able to attend. And so I was going to go by myself with my horse, like a four or five day road trip to Montana. And so psyched, got in my car, made excellent timing. The first day I had my stops and horse hotels all lined up. I was going to stop in Amarillo the first day, easy first day, eat at the big Texan steakhouse. And I was going to be in Wyoming the next day. And, and I was making incredible time. Uh, about a half hour out of um, Montana, I hit a deer on 287 um, in broad daylight. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, uh, the deer was already injured um, and I saw it coming. I, he was, she was standing in the median. I hit the brakes. Obviously, you can't slam on the brakes when you're hauling a horse trailer. But I started braking immediately. Um, and it still happened. I won't go into any details other than um, uh, my car was still in one piece. Everything looked good. I pulled over, gave everything a quick once over. Everything seemed fine. There was no place to safely exit the highway, so I thought the safest thing would be to continue to Amarillo. Um, I, you know, I was checking all my gauges, looking for leaks, um, 
because uh, it went under my truck and trailer. I checked the trailer floor. Everything was good. I wanted to get off that busy highway and get to my destination. Truck drove great all the way in. Uh, dropped off my horse at the horse hotel, dropped my trailer, checked in my hotel. And I was like, I, I'm going to go to the big Texan because that's my comfort right now. After yes. what happened, <laughs> it was very traumatic, but I was grateful. Everything was okay. Everything was safe. We were both safe. Me and my horse, um, pulling into the parking lot. I had a sensor come on that said service four wheel drive, which a sensor on these newer trucks usually doesn't bother me. Usually I thought a well, wire's probably been pulled, but it started making a roaring noise. And Uh-oh. I was like, Hmm, that's probably not good. So out of an abundance of caution, I didn't even drive it out of the parking lot. I had it towed to a dealership. Um, They were swamped because apparently what a lot of people told me is that Amarillo is cursed and everyone breaks down there. But when I finally did, yeah, get them to look at it, it took them a whole day to look at it. Um, He said, you are probably fine to go home, but I wouldn't go to Montana. Um, and because the it bent this, it's not the radiator, it's something else that was right behind the bumper. It bent that, and even though there were no leaks, there could be a pinhole leak, and I could be on a mountain pass in Colorado or Wyoming or Montana and run Kaboom. out of yeah. transmission fluid. Yeah. That would be bad. So I had to go back home. So I had a lovely weekend trip to Amarillo and I had, I ate at the big Texan two nights in a row. Um, well, that's something I was anyway. I so upset the first <laughs> night when it dawned on me, I'm going to have to turn around and go home that my waiter who was amazing gave me free ice cream. Oh, <laughs> Cause I was all alone crying and eating steak. Oh it was God. so sad, but funny. Um, so yeah, I completely forgot to tell you about that. Um, oh and yeah, but I'm thankful we made it home in one piece. It could have been so much worse. And so at least there's that. At least there's that. Well, my gosh. Um, some people have really great luck. Some people have really kind of crappy luck. Uh, and we're going to take a quick break here. And then we're going to um, call our guest, Brian from Westwind Morgans, because He's had, I'm not going to call it luck. I think it's going to be, has been a lot of years of hard work because he's got a kind of a cool horse doing some really cool stuff right now. So we're going to give him a call and then we're going to circle back around and do our training chip after our guest. And welcome to the show, Brian Blatt, who is the owner of Westwind Morgans. And you might think to yourself, hmm, Westwind Morgans, what have they got to do with Western training of any sort? Well... What they've got to do with it is he he uh, he breeds really cool working Morgans, and he has one out there right now called Westwind Auto, who is just cleaning up. And I saw a video of Westwind Auto doing his thing, so I had to have Brian on the show. Well, welcome to the podcast, Brian. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's um, it's fun to be here with you and talk about these horses. It is fun to be here and talk about these horses. I am a all things Western neophyte. Don't much know much about it, but I recognize amazingness. So that's why I called you. Mary, on the other hand, she's our Western expert. So I'm going to ask the really stupid questions and Mary's going to be asking the really thoughtful ones. Okay. And I'll try to answer the, with dumb answers. We'll there see you go. Really <laughs> so, tell, tell, so there we go. Tell us a little bit about Westwind Morgans. It's in Montana, but that's about all I know. 
sure. I um, West Wind is a registered prefix with the American Morgan Horse Association, and Morgans, uh, if you're a breeder, uh, will allow you to have that type of uh, arrangement with them so that whatever name you typically would pick, uh, as long as you use West Wind, you're probably going to be able to register horses that way. And so I think I got that uh, prefix from them back in the late 90s when I uh, decided to uh, uh, start to breed Morgans. Uh, we ended up out here in Montana a little over 20 years ago. Uh, and it's a great place to uh, breed and raise horses. And of course, uh, I really decided back then to uh, focus in on the old ranch bred Morgan horse, um, which there are very few of today. Um, but if Otto does well, um, we hope to bring back that popularity. And he seems like he's really got a chance to do that in, in National Ring Cow Horse Association competitions. I tell you what, and I think the environment is just perfect for them to make another big splash. And I say another big splash because if you know anything about Morgans, which there are people out there who might not know the breed, um, they are, you can really truly call them America's horse. I mean, their history is interwoven with our country's history. And my first horse was a Morgan and a very typey um, kind of foundation bred Morgan that I did everything with western dressage jumping uh, she was incredible and the breed is more people need to know about these horses and not just for the western events i mean anything you can do with a horse you can probably find a morgan that fits the bill and um so you know being my first horse they left a huge impression on me in fact i've I've been, I do not need another horse, but I have been shopping the sites for the last few years, just looking for, because I would love to have another one in my barn. Um, so did you always start with Morgans? Um, was that the first horse that you really started working with? Or was there a particular horse that drew you to the breed? What do you love about them? It, uh, it's the first breed I ever w was involved with. It's the only breed I've ever been involved with. And, uh, um, I was actually up in Idaho, uh, in some high country, uh, riding with a buddy of mine. And, uh, I asked him, uh, you know, what was that horse he was riding? And he said, it's, uh, it's a 22 year old gelding and it's a Morgan. And he said, uh, if you can find the right bloodlines, they're the best mountain trail horse there is. And so that started me um down the path of uh trying to find those horses and ended up uh, deciding that uh i'd breed them and spent several years uh studying bloodlines and and and, and uh, breeding and then traveling i've been from actually back then i traveled everywhere from uh maine and vermont all the way to california looking at them wow um, trying try to get a start on them and uh, it ended up uh a ranch out of uh, Western uh, uh, Kansas uh, uh, had sold a stallion to a young fellow. Um, that stallion at that time was about 20 years old. And, uh, and uh, I bought that horse and um, um, saw some of his offspring and just said, uh, after all those travels, that's really what I want to breed. And uh, the horses are exceptional uh, in terms of, uh, uh, their, their confirmation, uh, they're hardy. They have a lot of stamina. 
Um, Otto, uh, we're just starting out his career in, in rain cow horse, but I have another horse, um, commonly known as Romeo Westwind Eldorado, who was the 2018, um, American Morgan Horse Association, National Endurance and Long Distance Champion. So, um, I think what that fellow said years ago holds true. If you find the right bloodlines of a Morgan, they'll excel, um, typically, uh, at, at what you want to do with them. And they are extremely versatile. So, uh, I've had, um, 16 hand dressage horses come out of my program. I've had, uh, Again, this uh, national endurance and long distance champion, and uh, now we've just got uh, our first show under our belt with Otto. But that's really uh, that's my focus. I think that there's just a great opportunity for the breed to um, come back into these Western performance sports, uh, and it's a good market for them. Um, the audience may not be aware, but um, the Livestock Conservancy years ago uh, declared the, the Morgan. Um, and I might not have the exact terminology, but essentially they're endangered. Uh, last year, I think the breed maybe put 1,500 total horses on the ground. A new wow. Uh, and of that, uh, it's guesstimated by a few people that, uh, you know, there might be 100 of them, 150. That would uh, comply or, or meet these standards of a, a foundation horse. And basically, uh, a couple of us got together 20 years ago. Um, and what we wanted to do was go back in time nearly now a hundred years and, uh, try to bring in the old new England blood that they started with. Um, there's a lot of the old Western sports lines and, and try to, uh, put that old fashioned, uh, Morgan back, you know, into prominence and, and start breeding them. So, um, you know, that's what's, that's, what's going on. And, uh, um, you know, the horse has a great opportunity to, to come back into the into popularity. I think you're exactly right, and um, I think that's incredible that you're bringing back. You know, because uh, one of the terms that we used to use when I was riding Morgans was was typey, which was you know they're kind of that old school. And for those who maybe not have not seen a horse like that before, um, they're they're they kind of have a little bit of a look of a quarter horse, but they're, 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 there's no other word to describe it. They're fancy. They're just really breathtaking to look at. They've, you know, usually got really good feet, really good uh, confirmation. Um, my horse never took a bad step in her whole life. Um, you know, they have a lot of longevity and stamina is insane. Um, I remember when yeah. I first started with mine, she was like riding a freight train. And, um, yeah. in my limited knowledge, I used to think if I lunged her for 20 minutes, that would be enough. But these horses, they can work all day and you've still got horse left by the end of the day. Um, but they've got yeah, a good they, mind as well. Yeah. They, they don't quit on you. And, uh, they're very trainable, very friendly. Uh, they're pretty surprising. And I have a lot of, you know, people come out and look at them. Uh, just a great breed. And uh, as I say, w when you look at, uh, you know, last couple of years of registrations, uh, they've never been a huge breed. They're not anywhere near, you know, the numbers that the quarter horse has. Uh, you know, over the years, they've done well over 100,000 foals a year. But, uh, you know, they're a, a good quality horse. And uh, for a lot of reasons, as you mentioned. Um, and um, I just, you know, it's been, 
it's been 20 over 20 years and i i thought that um if i could get to breeding where i where i think i have it now we, we could we could get back in there in in this performance horse market um you know for a breeder today and the economy and it's you know you really have to try to say to yourself you know how do you really keep the breed alive uh, the morgan breed anyway and one thing i said 20 years ago again was you have to have a market for the horse there's no question that the um uh, if it's even a proper phrase i guess or term but the, but the Morgan show horses is, is kept the breed going. I mean, the, the, the breed, the registry, the magazine, it's, you know, they do what they do. Um, and just about every breed, there's, there's opportunity for everybody to, uh, to, uh, engage in, in, and work with horses that they like and prefer. So, um, hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll get there. The, um, you know, we're breeding more. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put 20 foals a year on the ground and, uh, wow. I'll do, I'll do, I think we're going to have 17 this year and breeding back and, uh, you know, really looking at the, uh, uh, the, the possibility that Otto could, uh, do well, um, you know, just be respectable and get the job done and, um, and bring some more of these young, young foals up and, and, and continue to, to get involved. I, I will have to say that there's a lot of credit to, what um that horse is doing uh needs to be given to his trainer uh zane uh zane davis is uh an accomplished rider in that sport he's a great guy and really knows his stuff and uh i had met zane oh my goodness 17 18 years ago and talked to him about this and then gave him a call back a couple years ago and uh, uh you know he said sure i'll take your morgan that was going to uh, be my next question was, you know, um, I read up a little bit on Zane and, and he kind of burst up onto the scene, self-taught trainer and has done incredibly well in the, the working cow horse. And usually a trainer like that's going to have a string of quarter horses. It's almost like the default breed. And yeah. I'd love to know, um, what he thinks about it and, and how it compares to his other horses and, um, yeah, how that all started with him. Well, um, when they, Zane first started out, uh, I, I, I talked to him, and uh, uh, he's an open-minded guy. He, he's willing to, you know, give this horse a chance, um, and he has. Um, I mean, he's real high on the horse. He, he, he just, he really does love the horse. He really does. He, uh, and his son, who... <laughs> um, Zane once told me, he said, I, I ride your horse five days a week. He said, on Saturdays, my son rides him. It's his favorite horse. So, um, you know, they, they, um, they see the quality of the horse. I mean, it's a different, it's a different horse. It's built differently. It's going to have a different style. Um, you know, there's a, a we had a video of that, uh, performance. It's available out there. Um, Horse does a great job. They're extremely cowered, extremely cowered horses. And if you look across the, the 200 something year history of this country, um, 1790s is, is when uh, Justin Morgan, uh, you know, started to breed. Um, the horse's original name, the Morgan horse's original name was Figure, but the owner of the horse was Justin Morgan. And then um, 
when he passed away, I think as the story goes, they started calling the horse, you know, Justin Morgan's horse. And uh, that horse was used behind the bloodlines of a lot of inter-American breeds, every, just about every one of them. Um, and so, uh, interestingly enough, this is sort of a neat story. When I thought about doing this, I went to the National Ring Cow Horse Association website, and I started looking at you know the website, and um, there's a horse in the Hall of Fame uh, named uh, Mitch, and it's a part Morgan, and I thought, well, that's interesting, and um, you know, the more you look at this, uh, you know, like I say, I think the breed has an opportunity here which it sorely needs. It really needs the support and, uh, uh, and, and to get the, um, the interest of the, you know, horse, horse public back into the breed, uh, at least in, the, in this area. And, um, again, Zane, uh, Zane was willing to take the horse on and it was quite interesting because he said, all right, uh, we know they're cowards. You know, we got to see what he can do in raining. We got to see what he can do. You know, uh, does he have a big stuff? Nobody knew any of that stuff, really. I mean, it's been decades. I think it's been potentially. I can't really verify this. But I think it's been nearly 50 years um, since there have been Morgan horses in open competition in this country in Western performance sports. It really has. I believe that to be the case. Last one I can identify was a, uh, a mare in 1961. She was full in 61. And so, uh, you know, people just don't know about them. And, and I think we're going to really create some awareness. And Zane was, was willing to help out. And he is a master trainer and a master rider. I mean, you can, you can see, you know, how well he does. Um, so he's a big part of it. And um, he was willing, like I say, to take on the, the project. And he's done well. And I was watching, um, so he's showing your uh, stallion Westwind Auto, which is gorgeous. I would say chocolate Palomino, if I'm going to get the color correct. Flax and mane and tail, just a beautiful horse. And, um, you know, sometimes you'll see a performance of uh, a unique breed in a sport that might be dominated by quarter horses. And you'll say, oh, that horse has a nice stop for a thoroughbred or that horse has a nice stop for yeah. a... But watching watching your horse, um, I was like, wow, that horse has really nice stop, and he's got really nice turns, and he was really cool on the cow, and you could tell he's just real forward and and happy in his job. And um, yeah. so, what yeah. are your plans for him for the future? What's what's the next show you're headed to? Well, I hope there's one at the end of this month. I'm waiting to hear back uh, from Zane. He talked about it. And uh, I, I think we'll be out there, you know, several more times this year. And then uh, we'll continue on next year. Uh, quite frankly, I, I'm, it may sound funny, but but I'm really not like a show horse guy at all. I, I don't. I think when I saw him in Idaho, it might have been the third show I've ever been to. <laughs> I just, yeah. So it's really it's really up to Zane. I mean, I, I have complete and a hundred percent trust in the guy and it's his decision. And, and, uh, but we're, we're, we will continue on. Um, you know, again, I hope to see a couple more shows this year, maybe something later this month. And then, uh, I think there may be another one in August. And so, you know, that, that show is the very first competition the horse has ever been in. Wow. It's, he's never, he's never, 
He's never been in an arena that big. He's worked out with, you know, been with Zane and his training facility, which is obviously beautiful, but he's never, that's, that's the first time that horse ever ran anywhere. And, uh, you know, it, um, that's pretty impressive. It, it'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he progresses. And I think he's really going to accelerate quite, quite well. Um, so, and, and Zane does as well. I mean, it's just going to be a question of, you know, we got a different horse. He, he's going to be uh, a little different what the judges have seen. Um, and, and we had some good scores down there. So, uh, again, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's up to Zane. I mean, he's, he's a guy that knows what he's doing and, uh, but, but there's no question we're, we're going to keep going. So, uh, We'll, we'll let you know more as it unfolds. That's so cool. That's pretty impressive. Anybody who's ever taken a horse to a show, if a horse can show that well and that focus their first time out, that's impressive. That says a lot about your horse's brain. So if anybody wants to go out and stalk the 2021 full crop, which I've already done, uh, <laughs> online, yeah. they uh, where are they going to go? Where, where's your website? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's so old. It's not even applicable anymore. (laughs) Okay. Do you, do you have a Facebook page? Uh, yeah, there's a Westwind Morgan's Facebook. There we go. And, uh, you can, you can contact me. I'm, I'm, uh, I'd love to say I'm, uh, a 30 year old guy that's real tech savvy, but, uh, well more than double that age. So, uh, I've got some friends helping me and we're, we'll update it. And, uh, uh, you know, the the interesting point of this, and it's really, I think, something that needs to be said as a breeder. You know, in the cattle industry out here, uh, they have what they call, uh, what they say, they'll uh, a hold back heifers. And so when you look at your breeding opportunities in horses, you really have to look at your mares. Without question, you have to watch your younger stallions coming up too. But, uh, you know, I've got... Um, well, I've got over 20 years to get here, and so I still consider us a, you know, a, a fledgling, but but a, a, a breeding program. And so I really keep an eye on my young stock, and I just don't, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not motivated to to just sell off horses. I've got to keep a, a, an idea of what the future will hold and, and how we can keep these lines moving forward. And uh, that's a real challenge in the Morgan world right now. It really is because, um, well, there's a term called genetic extinction. And even though there are horses on the ground, what's your gene pool? And, and how do you keep that breed or, and that, that confirmation and that style of horse uh, moving forward into the future? And so uh, selectively, you know, I've got some um, young stock. Uh, some of the geldings that we put on the ground will uh, get a start on them. I mean, this is ranch country out here. It's it's great opportunity for horses. Uh, some of the most, uh, well, one of the most famous Morgan breeders, you know, from a hundred years ago, uh, was right here in this valley. And uh, interestingly enough, up the road, the only uh, Kentucky Derby winner uh, from Montana was bred. And uh, these guys, we're talking a hundred plus years ago. Will tell you that uh, the the air, the water, the grass—it's uh, a great place to raise horses. So, 
I'm trying to, you know, get to, get the breeding operation to where we're putting out um, good horses, and then uh, we can get them to the market and, and start letting other people uh, get involved. And uh, uh, but best best way I guess to catch me would be, uh, you know, that Facebook page. Send me a message, and uh, we've got we've got horses available. You can't keep them all, but uh, <laughs> um, I think in the next year or two. Was hopefully what Otto does and um, creates uh, an awareness of the breeding. Um, you know, we'll be able to really start marketing some horses. There we go. Well, check it out on Facebook, West Wind Morgans. And if nothing else, it's fun to go look at the truly gorgeous working Morgans that you have there. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to, to uh, chat with us today, Brian. Well, it's been great. We appreciate it. Like I said, the, the breed, uh, the breed needs the support, and uh, I think we've got uh, we've got some quality animals to look at. So, thank you, guys. I could pick his brain for another couple of hours, and yes. and I didn't ask, but I'm going to have to ask if what ranch in Kansas he was talking about, because that's where my Morgan is from. Oh so it'd be really cool to that see if it was really the cool. same breeder. That was really cool. And speaking of. Uh stalking things online because of course I had to go to Westwind's Facebook page and look at the beautiful baby horses. You can stalk online horseware. That's right. Horseware is having their summer sale right now and you can find horseware things at up to 50% off. They add new stuff oh, every perfect. single day. I know. Um, this, this sale runs through July 13th and you just go to horseware.com and up at the top they have a sale tab. And you can find really cool stuff. For example, the Amigo Hero Ripstop Turnout Blanket, regularly $105, $79.95 right now. Oh, my gosh. (gasps) Oh, HW Riding Tights. Wait a minute. They Yes, Horseware makes riding clothes, too. I love HW Riding Tights. They're one of my favorites because they're super soft, super lightweight for summer riding. And they have cell phone pockets. And they have them on sale. Oh, man. I'm going there right now. So, check it out horseware.com and hit up the sale as i said it runs through july 13th so do it today and speaking of doing things today we postponed our training tip till after our guest because we we had uh, brian on and he had a tight time schedule and our training tip is it is inspired by something that happens in your horse training life so lay it on me Yep, you're exactly right. So um, I've talked a lot on the show about giving the horse breaks during the ride, which I was really surprised to find is something not a lot of people know about as a great tool for reinforcing behavior you want. And it's good mentally for the horse just to have those times where I'm just going to put the reins down and we're just going to, I'm going to check my Facebook, you do your thing. We're just going to chill for a few minutes and then we'll go and do the next thing. So one of my favorite ways to reinforce behavior is actually at the end of the ride. So when I'm done riding, I don't just hop off and unsaddle my horse and throw, you know, put him, put him back in a stall, give him a bath, whatever. I'm going to use that as a tool. Um, so uh, I was inspired to talk about this by my fabulous Mustang Remington and Remy is an incredible horse, but I do work on his motivation quite 
thoroughly because you have to really convince him that he's got to get out of bed and go to work and do the things. <laughs> and I use a lot of positive reinforcement training, which makes his eyes light up and he's really excited. And so I'll do that throughout the ride. I'll use a lot of breaks. He really likes you know, hey, we're just going to stand still for a moment. That's probably his favorite thing is we're just going to stand and just breathe. So I do that a lot during the ride. But at, at the end of the ride, I have this ritual. I do it with every horse. I do it with Remy is uh, whenever I'm done, I get off of I usually will click the last thing we just did. I will get off I'll immediately hand him a little handful of treats. I will loosen his girth. I do this every time my feet hit the ground. Loosen that girth because it is such a like oh that feels comfortable. And so I don't wait till I tie him back up and I'm taking off the saddle. I I immediately no matter where I am if I'm at a show and I get off in the warm up pen, I I pull that girth and loosen it a couple of holes. And that's just such a good relaxing feeling for him. It's like kicking your shoes off at the end of the day. And so that's my ritual. I, I usually will get off in the middle of the arena, uh, hand him a little handful of, uh, of his food and loosen that girth. And so what that will do is re- reinforce the thing that happened right before I got out of the saddle. So I time my rides to where if there's something I really want him to work for, maybe something we really need to work on, um, I will do that thing last. So usually I will do it after the horse gives me a really good stop. So we talked about stopping horses earlier. You know, when you're doing the Western performance, you like to get that cool sliding stop. That's a lot of effort for a horse. And I really want to reward them big time if they give me a great stop. And I want to say, man, that's exactly what I want. Um, So even like 15 minutes in the ride, if I ask a horse to stop and they give me this amazing stop, I'll get right off then like, how is the ride going to get any better? Yes, it was only 15 minutes, but you did the best thing you've done all month. So I'm going to hop off of you right now. I'm going to loosen that girth and you're done for the day. And so what I've been doing with Remy specifically is our turnarounds. So if you don't know what a turnaround is in the Western sports, that's where the horse spins. So he plants a back hind foot and you have him uh, move his shoulders around. So, um, and in the top levels, the horse spins really, really fast. The patterns will usually call for four spins if you're doing the reining or two and a half spins to four spins if you're doing working cow horse or ranch uh, patterns. Um, so Remy's had the mechanics of a good turnaround for a couple years now, and it usually takes about two years to build a really good turnaround because the first year of that, you were really working on the mechanics of getting it slow, steady, consistent. They understand your cues. They're clean with their feet and everything. But then you've got to get the horse to add the speed. And that's a lot of effort on that horse's part. And if you punish them into it, like you keep kicking them or pulling on them or getting after them for not being fast enough, they're going to really resent that turnaround and they're not going to want to do it. So I have to figure out a way, how do I get him to kind of light up and, you know, turn on fire in those turnarounds and give me that energy I need? Well, instead of working on, um, he's not doing it right, so I've got to fix it. I'm going to instead look for moments where, oh my gosh, you did that one really fast. I'm going to reward it. 
And so I reward it. Uh, I like I said, I use clicker training, positive reinforcement training. So I'll click and treat when he's done, when he's taken a couple of really good steps. But I've started reserving the turnarounds for the end of the ride. Um, our rides haven't been very tiring lately because it is Texas in the summer, and we're working on a lot of things like just canter departures. We're not he so at the end of the ride, he's not too exhausted to give me a really energetic turnaround. So I'll start working on the turns and I usually go for like, if you can give me three good ones and I'm going to look as I'm working on it, I'm going to look for that one that just makes me go, wow, that was really great. So every time he steps around and does really well, I'll, I'll click and reward and, um, and, and, uh, you know, tell him, Hey, that was a really good one. But then when he gives me that amazing one, I'm going to click, get right off, give him that food, loosen that girth. And I tell you what, yesterday, yesterday, he just, um, really just spun around like a top. Um, not only was that, uh, you know, I'm, that's the one, like we're going to reward that one, but I could tell just by the energy he gave me yesterday that all the hard work and the timing has really been paying off. And when you're trying to build, um, these maneuvers and get that speed and energy that you need, I try to do it in a way where I'm going to reward what I like instead of, oh, that wasn't fast enough. I'm going to have to kick you harder. Because like I said, it really will tear your horse's attention away from trying harder. And he's going to be more focused on the pressure you're using, which in the end won't result in that incredible explosive maneuver that you're looking for. So that end of the ride break, um, don't waste that. That is a perfect um, perfect opportunity. And like I said, that loosening the girth is just such a relief form. And it's a clear signal like, you did good, we're done. Because I want my horse to enjoy the ride. I want him to like his work. But especially for Remy, he really is happy when he's like, man, I worked hard and we're done. And he craves that moment where he gets just that big relief. I've gotten off of him. I've loosened that girth. I'm going to unsaddle him, give him a bath, turn him out, let him be a horse. And so you can use that to your advantage. There you go. Now we're going to take a quick break here and enjoy a little bit of Templeton Thompson. Cause I get to do that when I host with Mary. And when we come back, I have a question for you before we get to our listener questions, um, inspired by today's training tip. She talks about him, dreams about him, thinks about him all the time. She's got to have him, be lost without him. You can see it in her eyes. What is it? What is it with girls and horses? She says, now when I was a young girl, they were my whole world, they were my one safe place, and now that I'm older, still lean on their shoulders, I still feel like that girl some 
and I dream about them. I live to love them and I love to ride. I'll always have them be lost without them. There's magic in those gentle eyes. What is it? What is it with girls and horses? What is it? What is it with girls and horses? Yeah. All right, Mary, someone who rides thoroughbreds a lot and thoroughbreds are not known far and wide for their appreciation of stopping and standing still and taking a break. So what are some things that we can make sure we are doing to help a horse who is naturally high strung and naturally likes to move a lot introduce to them the concept of let's stop and take a break and enjoy it. Let's say, for example, you have a OTTB. He's not fresh off the track. He's a horse that you've had for a couple of years and you've been doing some low-level hunters with him. But he tends to be a little bit high-strung. But you want to introduce the concept to him of let's take a break and soak in what we just learned and enjoy that because it really is scientifically taking a break and letting them percolate on what they just did scientifically does work. But if the horse's brain is not in the right place, in other words, if he's not able to stop, take a breath and just chill, he's not absorbing. If you're forcing him to stand still and he's jigging and jostling, his brain is not absorbing. So what are some things you could take a horse that's prone to that to start to introduce to him the concept of stop and take a break and absorb? That is a terrific question because um, I know a lot of people are dealing with horses like that in all breeds. I mean, you do have hot bloodlines of quarter horses and the Morgans we just talked about, they don't get tired. They're like a machine. Um, they can they can work in the fields all day and then go win races at night. They're, they're crazy like stamina is, is incredible. So with Remy, he kind of came built in with that. I'm going to need to rest. Um, so I didn't have to teach him that I could just say you get to rest. And he's like, yeah, thank you. I often (laughs) joke, joke that I don't know how he made it to the water hole every day when he was wild because you'd have to walk 10 miles. Um, (laughs) but so when I get a horse in training, that is that horse that's like, I don't need to stop. I could go all day. Um, you would think that stopping wouldn't feel rewarding for the, that kind of horses, but actually if you teach them what a rest is, it does become very rewarding for them. Um, especially because with that horse, the sometimes they can be prone to anxiety. And um, when you take the pressure off 
um, and which will happen when you let them stop and rest and give them a loose rein. The, it's that release of pressure that makes those horses go, oh, but you have to teach them. So um, it doesn't happen overnight. And oftentimes the first lesson I have in doing it, uh, as far as doing it, working on it under saddle is uh, when I'm mounting up because those type of horses tend to be like all business. Like I know we're going to work on leeches today, so hurry up and get on. I'm going to start walking off before you get your foot in the stirrup. Oftentimes that's where that first lesson starts. Um, but I'll also do it, um, uh, with the groundwork. So like if I'm lunging my horse and I want to change directions, I will make that horse stop and you're going to look at me and you're going to wait, even though, you know, cause we've done this every day this week that we're going to go the next direction. I'm going to have you wait until I ask for it. And for some horses, it's all they can do to stand still for one second. Well, that's where I'll start with that horse. If I can get you to stand for a moment, then I'll release you into that energy and now you can go the other way. And I'm going to try to tack on another couple of seconds to that every day. Um, a horse that I did this with on the ground um, who was very antsy to start with is my quarter horse, Guthrie. And he's ranching bred, so kind of like the Morgans, he's bred to go all day. And I was I started with him with this concept working on a ground tie. And I actually had a little rubber mat that I'd have him put his feet on because I was I was doing it for a very I wanted this to be a very specific thing, but it you don't have to be that detailed with it. But I worked on and you can this concept works under saddle on the ground with just about anything you can think of. I worked on building duration, which is something that I really learned about doing clicker training. So I could get him to put his feet on the mat. Uh, he understood that and he could stand there for like two or three seconds before he just had to move his feet. So I went really crazy detailed with this. And what I did with him was I would put him on the mat and I'd say, whoa. And that's the cue for you stand until I tell you to do something else. And I would actually walk circles around him and I would count my steps. And the first goal, I was like, I bet I can get you to stand while I walk five steps. And I would walk five steps. And as soon as um, I hit number five, I would click to mark, hey, you did really good. Mark that behavior and give him a food reward. And then I'd tell him, whoa, again. And now my new rule is I know you can stand for five. So now I won't release you or click until I get to six. And so I would just do that every day. I just work on it five minutes a day um, over several weeks. And my goal was actually to get to 300. There's a story why 300. But if a horse can stand to the count of 300, that's like several minutes of standing still. And I was pretty reasonable with my rules. He's got fly allergies. And so, like, if he, you know, stomped his foot or turned around and bite at a fly, totally fine. If he wanted to put his head down and itch on his legs, totally fine. If he took a foot off the mat but put it right back on, totally fine. I did, He didn't need to be a statue, but I wanted two feet on the mat. So, once I started to get to the count of, like, 10 or 11 steps – he knew that he was supposed to stay and he knew he was getting rewarded, but his natural personality was, I have to move, I have to move, I have to move. So he would just get so antsy. So maybe my goal was to hit 10 steps and I'd be go counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And on nine steps, he would leave the mat. Well, when he did that, I didn't punish him because usually a horse like that is probably dealing with a little bit of anxiety. So if you make them feel bad, 
for not standing still. They're just going to equate standing still with being punished and they're really not going to want to do it. Or you're never going to get it really consistent. All I would do, he had a halter on. I just go grab his halter, lead him back to the mat. I'd say, whoa, I would reward him for coming back to the mat because I'm correcting him. He didn't do what I, what I was asking. And I'd start the count again. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and he might leave the mat again. I just put him back on the mat, say, whoa, start the count again. And it might take like a few times to where I finally got to that count of 10, was able to reward. Um, Now, standing on the mat is his favorite thing in the world. When we do liberty work, if that mat is in the arena, he will leave me the person with the bag of cookies to go stand on his mat. And the reason why this once really antsy, I can't stand still ADHD horse is like in love with, I just want to stand here all day on this mat is because I didn't punish him for not doing it. I corrected him, but you know, I didn't put any pressure on him. I didn't chase him around. because I, I only focused on rewarding what I wanted And so all he equates that standing still on that mat to is tons and tons of cookies and rest and relaxation. Um, So a behavior that once took everything in his will to do, now he's like, I could stand here all day. And you don't (laughs) have to be, you don't have to go get a rubber mat out and do it. And you don't even have to use food rewards. Not everyone wants to use that in training. Totally understandable. But the, the concept is, is to find what you think your horse can do. I think you can stand for a moment and go from there. And so like when to utilize this under saddle and we'll take the clicker training out of the scenario. So if you're just using a uh, pressure release of pressure, um, I will ask my horse to stand. Maybe I can only get him to stand a second or two. Okay. If you can stand a second or two, then once we hit that time, like you've stood for a moment, then I will then ask the horse, okay, walk on, let's go to the next thing. And I'll work on something else and I'll come back and I say, okay, let's stand for like three seconds. Now I may have to correct him several times to get three seconds to get him to push past that you know, what he can do and challenge him a little bit more. So he might move his feet. I just, I don't punish him because again, a horse like this has usually got some anxiety. Um, And so if I'm like, you know, backing him up and getting after him for not standing still, he's really not going to want to do it. It's not ever going to be rewarding for him. So I just, nope. I want you to stand. If he walks forward, I'm going to back you up a couple steps. And and here's the next important thing. Every time you get him to stand, you need to release your aids at least a little bit. Maybe he's not the type of horse that you could just like throw the reins away. It might be a young colt you're working with and you need to keep some, you know, you need to keep your wits about you. But you've got to release, even if you know as soon as you release, they're going to walk off. So yeah, they walk that's off, key, isn't it? Yeah. Put them back, release. Yeah. You have to let them know where they're going to have the least amount of pressure. And I don't drill on this super hard. I just do it throughout the ride. And pretty soon you'll find you're able to just put your hand down. Your horse will stand for five seconds and then 10 seconds and then a minute. And then they'll stand as long as you want. And this is not only an important thing to teach as a a way to reward your horse, but we forget when we stay at home all the time, all the times when we go out into the world and that horse needs to stand, whether we're in the lineup of the show or we're on a trail ride and we're at the trailhead and our friends are, are, uh, we've waiting for that one last person to get on and get everything adjusted and then we can go. Um, If 
someone's come off of their horse and you need your horse to stand so that every, you know, to, to get under to control, at least stand long enough for you to get off so you can be <laughs> yeah. safe. Yeah. There's so many times where your horse needs to stand. So it's not only a great reward, but it's, it's important to teach. Yeah. One of the things that I've found with Nigel being a thoroughbred, again, not prone to wanting to keep his feet still, although he, by thoroughbred standards, he's pretty quiet. I had to be very careful to, when I was introducing this to him, that I was asking for this when he was not amped up. This is not a, yes. uh, this is not a skill to start practicing when they're amped up. Practice it when they are feeling thoughtful. That makes more sense. So I had to use, I had to reward behaviors that really weren't that hard because if they were extremely difficult for him physically or mentally, that would mean he was a little bit amped up when he did finally get it. So simple stuff that was like, you know, that's not really that hard for you. He was already kind of in a chill state of mind. So I would make sure I would reward those moments to get started so that the concept could be grasped. Um, the idea that standing still is a lovely thing was totally foreign. So I had to, well, we're going to trot in a 20 meter circle and maintain our bend for the whole 20 meter circle. Look at that. We did it. Let's stop and have a break. And like you said, the break was very short. It was 30 seconds. Um, yeah. So that, again, it was concept. He wasn't really absorbing the fact that he got an, a, a, a reward for doing a cat task. What he was grasping was that taking a break is nice and I can enjoy it. That was the yeah. very first step for him because it was so foreign. And then the other day I went out, I hadn't done an arena, any arena work for months. It's not his favorite thing. It's not my favorite thing either, but we were in the arena and we were doing some work and we were getting some good movements. I was really working with um, keeping him, giving through his giving to the bridle during a transition because he tends to be soft and squishy transition icky have to fix it not really how i want my transitions to work i want them to be soft throughout so simple walk to trot and i finally got him to be really soft throughout and i stopped to take a break well, he wanted to move again because when we stopped to take a break, we were facing the gate and the barn. Ooh, temptation. So, okay, now what do I do? Do I stop him and tell him to stand still again? Do I ask him to back up? Another common thing. And, you know, I'm not going to stop and ask him to back up. I'm simply going to say, okay, let's walk. And now we're going to do a couple more of those transitions that you find so challenging. I didn't ask him to move off and do those things. He said, oh, I need to walk now. And I did that twice. And he said, oh, I get it. I need to stop and take a break, don't I? <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, could, I could literally see the light bulb come on in his head. It's like, oh, if I move, I'm going to have to go do that hard thing again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's one of those skills that he finds physically challenging, but he does not find it mentally challenging. So he doesn't get amped up being asked to do it repetitively. I just know physically it's hard for him. He has muscles and bones that are creaky and it's hard to do. And it was so interesting to watch the light bulb come on. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and working on that, it, it is such a mental thing. Um, and it really works. It works on their mind. And um, 
a lot of horses like this, yeah, and the challenges in the, in the beginning is just to get them to do the behavior. I'm going to have to teach you to stand still. But I've had the transition with every one of these horses that even the most like amped up, energetic, powerful horse will start to go, oh, yeah, I like this. Um, it's kind of like uh, when you are using food and training. I've had a lot of people say, oh, my horse isn't food motivated. I'm like, nope, they can all get food motivated because um, that desire to to eat food is hardwired in them. Um, I've had, you know, and, and sometimes it takes time, um, working on stress levels and, uh, teaching style and finding the right reward for your horse. But I've had every one of every horse go, Oh, I really quite like this reward. And some horses initially, maybe I, I'm not able to get them to fully just come to a stop and let down, but you can get a lot of the same concept with, Oh, we just worked on three or four canter transitions in a row. Let's just go for a walk. Let's just do a loose rein. Like we're going down the trail and we're just going to walk from one end of the arena to the other before I pick up the reins again and work on the next thing. But having those pauses in between those maneuvers is really good for your horse. There you go. That's our step number one. Now, um, we're going to finally get to some of our listener Q&As because each show, Mary sits down and answers listener-submitted questions. These are submitted by our auditors. And who are our auditors? Our auditors are folks who help support Horse Radio Network programming by going to our Patreon. And they toss a couple of bucks in there every month. And that helps the Horse Radio Network do cool stuff. For example, the big road trip coming up later on this year. And Glenn has talked about the road trip many, many times on the show. So if you're a regular Hit'em listener, you know all about it. If you're not a regular Hit'em listener, you need to listen more and find out more about the big road trip. So what is going to be our first listener cue that you answer? Well, kind of tying into this, uh, would, it comes from, I do not know if this is pronounced Hallie or Haley. Um, uh, I think it's Hallie. And her question is, I would like to know the best way to teach a horse to tie to a stationary object, a wall, a trailer. Young thoroughbreds usually aren't taught this. Um, and I'm thinking maybe this might be off-the-track thoroughbreds. Uh, I know, um, I think they use like cross ties typically. Um, but this is a great question and it is something I think is great to work on with every horse you have because if you're ever going to go on a trail ride or go to a show that doesn't have stalls you're going to need to tie to something stationary and you don't want to do it the first time at a show where everything's going crazy um so i have lots of different ways i prepare a horse to tie to something solid um i actually start preparing them for this when i do groundwork uh so i'll do a lot of exercises where i will put pressure on the halter and ask the horse to come forward to that pressure so that's actually how i'll teach my horse to start off on a lunge circle is i'll tip their nose one way or the other and that will put a little bit of pressure behind their ears and they need to learn to come forward to that and um so, and, and a way that I did this, I have a Mustang that I've been working on and off for the last year or so named Dougal, and he's a cool, cool horse, and he's really chill and quiet most of the time until he isn't, and then he could have a big reaction, which is why it's taken me a while. I've been on him, but we're still in the process of getting him going under saddle, um, but I haven't tied him up in a long time, and so... Uh, 
what I was doing with him yesterday was I had my saddle and my blankets up on the wall of my arena and he does not like that corner and he doesn't like the saddles on the wall. It's, it's a little bit scary to him. So what I've been doing is walking him to that corner and we'll hit a spot where I know he will go, I don't want to go further. I want to back up. And I will just kind of stand I stand there like I'm a post in the ground. And he'll pull back lightly. And I just stand there like a post. And I just wait. And then he'll go, oh, I feel pressure. I'm going to take a step forward. And when he does that, and I've used clicker training with him, I mark the behavior and I reward him. If you're not using food, you can just release it. And I do that several times. So I've taken this opportunity instead of worrying about, oh, he doesn't want to go to this corner. He doesn't like the saddle. I'll say, hey, I can sort of create a situation that's going to happen when he's tied to a wall. I know he's going to want to resist on that halter. So I can do this in a controlled way and release him every time he pulls back, thinks about it and comes forward. So I'll do a lot with that, a lot of that with the horse on the ground as I'm halter training or more working on the groundwork. So they have some concept of when you feel that pressure from the halter, the best answer is to give to it instead of continuing to pull back. And you can use a flag or a whip to help create a little pressure behind to encourage them to come forward. Um, but it's not entirely necessary. Like when I did this exercise with Dougal, I just pretended like I'm a post in the ground you're tied to and I'm just going to stand steady. Um, and I did it at kind of the threshold where he felt a little bit of stress, but he didn't feel so scared that he was like, escape, I'm going to run and drag you around. I just, I went to that kind of threshold where he was like, I'm a little uncomfortable. I'll say, okay, let's work through that. And we can work through that in a way that's going to help prepare me, prepare you for being tied. Um, so usually when I've, I've got a pretty good basic basis of groundwork on the horse, I will start tying them in my arena. Um, and my arena, I've got solid walls and good footing and lots of space. It's a very perfect place to start tying. I wouldn't just start doing this in the, in a concrete barn aisle because especially if your horse has shoes and you don't want them to feel really trapped and claustrophobic. And if they do go to pulling back, the footing is slick. You, you don't want to create that situation. So if you have something like an arena with soft footing, and that, you know, really controlled environment, that's the best place to prepare them. And one tool that I really like to use, it's called the clip. And it's it's a safety tie that will give slack if the horse pulls back. It won't completely release the rope, but it allows them if they, if they feel like, oh my gosh, the pressure's too much, they can take a step or two back or heck, they can pull back a lot of rope if they want. And so I usually use pretty long lead ropes when I do this. Um, and I'll start tying them to groom them before I work on them, uh, before I go to work with the groundwork and stuff. And I'll do, I'll tie them afterwards. And I'll start with just a few minutes of tying. And if they get scared and they pull back, I just gently walk up to them, take the slack out of the rope, and then go back to whatever I'm doing. If I really want to, uh, train on this, I might even um, do a little bit of flag work. So I desensitize my horses to a flag. And so I'll put them on that tie and I'll uh, move my flag around a little bit. And so it'll actually kind of create that pressure situation. I don't want to completely push them over threshold to where they're panicking, but you give them this 
you give them a chance to experiment of, ooh, this is uncomfortable. I need to take a couple steps back. And usually what that clip does, you would think that it would teach them not to tie, but it actually does the opposite. It tells your horse, hey, if it's really scary for you, you can create some distance and you're you're going to be okay. Rather than that, just tying them solid off from the get-go to where if they really feel overwhelmed, um, if they're tied solid, uh, it can be a bit of a sink or swim to where some horses might pull really hard and you've prepared them really well and they'll go, okay, I feel pressure, I'm going to stop. If that happens, great. But sometimes they really just say, I'm over threshold. I have got to save myself. And that's where you can get broken halters, broken ropes, injured horses, injured people. So I like that clip. It's kind of that next step to teach them, hey, you're going to learn about tying, but it's we're not committing to just tying off solid just yet. Um, there's another method that I've seen done that I haven't practiced a lot myself, but the few times I've seen it in action is has been uh, it, it was really interesting uh, where you take a rope and actually go around their barrel right behind their elbows and then you bring the rope between their front feet and then through the kind of throat latch of their halter and out the nose band and tie them up that way. And what that does is instead of all the pressure being on their head, which can be pretty scary for them, they will pull back and they'll feel the pressure behind their elbows and they kind of just go, oh, and they stand right up and loosen that rope. Um, that, like I said, the, my caveat on that is I have not done that a lot myself. So I can't tell you all the pros and cons of it, but it, it is, I've, I have really liked the results of what I've seen so far. Um, and the other important factor to this, which again, just like the standing still when you're riding that we just talked about, I don't think this is done enough. You need to practice tying your horse and leaving him for, you know, like letting him stand for a while. Um, now that doesn't mean take your green horse that's only been tied five minutes here and there, tie him up and then go to lunch. Um, you, what I, when I actually do this is I will, I start doing it after the rides. So the horse probably at this point has a concept of we've tied up a few times. We've tied for five minutes here and there. We've done a lot of prep. Um, but now you need to start learning to stay tied up because if you're going to a show, they're going to probably need to spend a lot of hours standing tied. Or if you're at the vet's office and you've got to tie your horse in the stocks, he's going to need to understand to stand tied. Most of the accidents I've seen with tying are horses that do know the concept, but they've never been asked to stand for a while. And then someone takes them to a show and that horse has got to stand for three or four hours. If they've only stood tied for five minutes at home in a controlled environment, that's a lot to ask of them to go to the show where there's like 300 other horses and all sorts of stuff going on. And you're saying, okay, you need to stand for three hours. It takes time to build up that discipline. And it's important if you are ever going to haul your horse um, anywhere. Uh, they've got to, I, I really believe it's such a necessary skill. So I usually time it after the ride. They're a little sweaty. They want to stand for a little bit. Um, so I will unsaddle them. I'll hose them off if I need to. And then I will tie them to a wall and they can stand there for a little while while I get my next horse out. And, um, I try to time it to where I'm not going to let them stand tied so long that they lose their mind because we're building up the duration of this. So we don't want to just time for a day the first, you know, 
first thing off that. Some well, yeah, you, you, that. you hear you works, hear the people but... who just well just time time there in the morning and by the, the next morning they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, and you know I know people who do that. It it does work to an extent, but you're going to have some horses that it can actually make worse. Um, so I like to build to that. So I I try to time it to where. This horse is going to deal with a little discomfort. He's going to feel a little impatient. He's probably going to paw a little bit. He's probably going to test, you know, um, you know, pull this way, pull that way a little bit. I want him to go through that. Um, but I don't want to have him stand tied so long that he just goes, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I hate the, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to challenge him a little bit without overwhelming him. So half an hour, 20 minutes, you know, find that kind of baseline and go from there. But timing it to where he's not fresh out of his stall and it's 30 degrees out and we haven't ridden in three weeks, do it after, you know, you've had a good long ride and he probably wants to just hang out um, for a little bit um, and start there and then go longer and longer and longer and to where I'll build it up to where I can bring up the horses I want to ride, um, that morning and tie them all up. You can put a hay bag in front of them. Um, and then just get each horse off the tie as I work them and time for a little bit afterwards and then kick them back out. Um, but you really want to start building that duration. Like I said, most horses that I've seen bad accidents are horses that did understand how to tie, but they had never been asked to tie for long periods of time before. They really, I really think it's important for them to learn that skill. So one more question. We have time for one more yes. question. This is going to be related to the one you just did. When you're building duration, you have a horse who has got the basics. He will stand tied to the wall in the barn for five, ten minutes or to the trailer for five or ten minutes. At what point in the training, what are you looking for in the horse's behavior that is a signal that you need to start to vary where he's tied and under what circumstances he's tied? Or is that something that starts from the very beginning? Um, yeah, you're always wanting to, wanting to challenge them a little bit every day. And the setup I had when I worked in this one particular barn was actually a perfect setup for challenging the horse a little bit every day. So the barn was, it had this big barn aisle, concrete barn aisle, and it had these two saddling bays that had mats in the, in the saddling bays. They were about the size of stalls. And um, there were ties um, on the back wall. But when I was starting colts, especially colts that had only worn the saddle a time or two, I did not want to tie them in that small area because, you know, they're still learning what a saddle is and I'm tying them up. So that's a lot for them to do. So I would start practicing this in the arena. So I would... um, I would teach him the concept of tying through different groundwork and doing a lot of the steps I just mentioned. Um, and then, I, you know, at the same time, I'm teaching him, hey, this is a saddle. Don't destroy it. Um, <laughs> and I would have to saddle them and unsaddle them, not tied and in the middle of the arena while they're getting used to that. But then what I would start doing is I would do the groundwork and do the ride and um I had saddled them in the middle of the arena, but to unsaddle them, I would take them to the wall and tie them to the wall using a safety tie. And I would unsaddle them there and then lead them back to their stall after hosing them off. And 
Um, then what I would do, a few days of doing that, then I would tie them to the wall in the arena with a safety tie to saddle them. So I tie them up, brush off, you know, brush off the dirt, real quick grooming session, saddle them up there, do whatever work we're doing. And then I would come back to the wall, unsaddle them there, brush, brush, brush. And then what I would do is I would, um, do all of that. And, but then at the end, I would just leave them tied for a little while there and, you know, start building the duration in the arena. That way I can, I've got my eyes on them because when I'm working another horse, I can watch and see how they're doing. If for some reason they just absolutely panic and freak out, they are in an enclosed space. So it's not like they can run out into traffic. They're soft footing. So if they do stumble or anything like that, you know, they're, they're pretty safe. Um, and you know, it, it's just, it's a pretty safe place to tie it and let them figure out stuff. So after doing that for a while and building the duration on, okay, I left you tied for about five minutes, now 10 minutes, now 15 minutes. Now I left you tied while I worked this other horse and then I pitch you away. Um, so then what I would start doing is I would start leading them um, down the barn aisle and I would tie them in the saddle bay to take off the saddle and then I'd put them right away and I would do that for a little while. And then I would put them in the saddle bay to start to saddle them. And by this time they've probably had at least two or three weeks of groundwork and saddling and practicing tying. So by the time I put them in the saddling bay to groom on them and saddle them, um, they really know what's up and they're really good minded and they they're confident with me and they're confident with my tools. And even though we just did this new thing today, I've told them for two weeks, this is coming. I'm preparing you for this. And if at any point I was like, Oh, I jumped too far, too far ahead. No problem. Let's go back and do it in the arena. Um, and you know, and so on and so forth. And so going from the arena to the barn aisle, um, and, and doing it in the saddling bay was a really great place at home to get them, um, get them used to that. And then, you know, I would tie them outside because we're going to go on a trail ride today and I, you know, just start tying them in different areas all around your ranch. Um, and by the time you get that going, they usually have, I've worked them every day. I've done lots of prep and I'm usually getting to a pretty good place to where now I can haul you out. Let's say now I'm going to do my first trail ride. Um, well, I might, um, take the horse out of the trailer and do a little bit of groundwork with him and let him see what's up and let him move around a little bit. And now I'm going to tie you to the trailer. Um, and so you just, you just add on a little bit more challenge every day. I try never just to throw him in the deep end and say, figure it out, sink or swim. Um, because there's a lot of risk to that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think the part of the key there, and this is something I'm terribly guilty of is frequency. Because yes. Nigel's not really great about being tied to the trailer. Sometimes he's really good. Sometimes not so much. And I go, oh, I need to practice that. Well, I'll practice it twice every once in a while. Every day. I need to make a habit of tying him in different places, tying him for different periods of time more frequently. Because I do it so rarely, it stays novel. <laughs> yeah. And... With my ADHD brain, I I also have this, um, I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And what I found helps me 
is set it up to where it's easy. It's just easy to do it. It's it's hard not to do it. So if I, you know, I've got a couple horses that can actually start learning to tie to the trailer. So I might just move my trailer to where it's right by the arena and um, I can say, okay, when I unsaddle you, I'm going to unsaddle you at the trailer. Um, and I do that with loading too. I will get my trailer. Oh, ding, up ding, and, ding, ding. You just yeah. gave me an idea. Duh. Not all, if you have a boarding, if you have your horse at a boarding stable, you can't always decide where your trailer goes and stuff like that. True. And I, my trailer lives way far away from the barn. But if I leave my tack in the horse trailer, yes. that makes it easy to tack him up at the horse trailer. Hello, why didn't I think of that? Gee, willikers. That's what I started having to do. <laughs> and actually, how I started having to do it is because I'm so lazy. I was like, I didn't unload my trailer from the show three weeks ago. <laughs> so I'm oh, I've never done that. Over there, and he can carry the saddle to the arena. Um, yeah, it's uh, and so yeah, just plan ahead of time. Take about five minutes and think, what can I do to make this just easy to work on? Um, and I'm going to yeah, do that. if you set that up, then you're you're going to be less likely to say, ah, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, I like it. As usual, Mary Kitzmiller. Lots and lots and lots of great training takeaways for folks who want to appropriately stalk you, hire you to do a clinic, watch you at a clinic, uh, send a horse to you for training. Have you helped them find a horse that's appropriate for them? Because you can do that too. How do they do it? Uh, best place is to hit me up on Facebook. Look for Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship. There you go. Easy to find. You have great, great SEO. You will be found. And thank you once again for stopping by on your monthly trip to Horses in the Morning and chatting with me. And thank you for sponsoring this show, Horseware. Go to horseware.com and check out their summer sale, which goes through July 13th. 